Well, I can tell you one place you're not, David. In the playoffs. Yeah, not in the playoffs. You're right. You got it. You knew exactly where I was going to go with that. <laughs> that was such a delayed response. I thought about it for a second. Russell, are we starting? We Gavin, we have we have been started. Believe it or not. This is actually the MLS Now podcast. That's right, Gavin. I'm your host, Russell. You can find me on social media at Mr. Dangerous. You can find the podcast on social media at MLS Now Podcast. You can find that cat meowing in the background on Gavin's social media at Lions Blog One. Hello, Gavin, and hello, Chi Chi the Cat. I just let Chi-Chi out of the room, um, but Chi-Chi says hello back. Hello, Russell. Good to see you again on a Thursday night. Yes, good to see you as well. And you can actually see me because I have a working webcam this time. It's phenomenal. I've joined the world of people who have working webcams. Joining us from the world of people who do not have working webcams, you can find him on social media at uh oh boy it's been so long since he's been on here i want to say it's b leslie 19 you're right nailed it it's bryce bryce i wish i could say it's good to see you but i can't see you so it's good to hear you you know it's always it always feels good to be heard uh, in situations like this uh, happy to be here happy uh, to join the pod it's a great time too MLS is full swing in the playoffs, so good night, especially with the Bears and Panthers playing on Thursday Night Football. No one wants to watch that, so it feels good to be here. Right. Well, you know, let's not say no one. Some of us might have it going on a different screen here. Be a little called out. And uh, finally, a man who will always call me out in our group chat, a man who has a working webcam and yet is sitting in a pitch black room, so I can't see him anyways. David, hello. (laughs) I just realized the camera is on, now that you mentioned it. The camera is on, yes. The camera is off. (laughs) Now the camera is off, yeah. Joining us from the world of also no webcam, we we are a 50-50 split here. David, how are you? I forgot to mention, I'm getting a bunny this weekend. Um, In case anyone wants to help with the name, send the, the the names in. That's right. You can tweet them at MLS Now Podcast, or you can X them at MLS Now Podcast. What? What? I, I don't know what we're calling it. It's been months now. I still don't know what we're calling it on that platform. Name the bunny Zebulon. I, I do have a dog, so I'm kind of scared to see how the dog reacts to the bunny. I feel like it'll be fine, but I've never had a bunny, so what do I know? Hey, if you are a bunny expert. And also a dog expert. Basically, if you're a veterinarian is what I guess I'm describing here. And you know how bunnies and dogs interact. Uh, get in contact with us on social media at MLS Now Podcast. All right. I'm going to move us into some great stories. David, not that hearing about your bunny who is soon to join your pet family is uh, it's very important. However, we have a lot of other important things to also talk about, starting with breaking news. Yet another coach has been fired today. Hernan Lasada fired from CF Montreal. I think they've gone through six coaches in six seasons now. They've gone through, I want to say, nine coaches in their time in MLS. You can almost make a best 11 out of the coaches that they've fired. So 
They're closing in on it. Just quick reactions from around the room on this one. It's one year. David, her and Lasada fired. You surprised? A bit, to be honest. Um, he didn't have much to work with uh, before he joined the club. He lost all the best players, or Montreal lost all the best best players they had. You guys remember two seasons ago, they had a fantastic season surprising everyone, and all their best players left. And then they gave him a roster and didn't spend any money. So I'm a bit surprised, but Losada was with DC, and I think you guys recall the whole situation that happened here as well. We haven't heard stories about if that happened in Montreal, and I'm going to be honest, I really hope it didn't. But one year is certainly a red flag. Gavin, as someone who uh, I don't think you've had a coach that has only lasted a year. Surprise? No, I wasn't impressed with his time in D.C. Then obviously all those stories came out. Um, I can't remember the specifics. David, you can probably update me on the specifics, but I remember they weren't good. Um, And then was surprised to see that he got the job in Montreal. I think... It's this is an overarching MLS wide problem of not very strong coaches being hired at teams. We, you and I talked uh, about Phil Neville getting hired over in Portland, um, Phil Neville getting hired in Miami originally. Uh, there's many, many more. Lasada was one, an, another example of a, a middling average coach that gets hired and it's just teams with very little ambition. So I'm not surprised to see him go. Montreal had a very poor season and we'll see who they go with next. Yeah. Well, they are one of a million places with an opening right now. So whatever coaches, I guess, get floated, I I would assume they're going to interview with every single team that has an opening, which is very strange in my mind, but so be it. Bryce, do you have any thoughts in there? I know Gavin and David kind of take most of the main talking points, right? Yeah, they did. I mean, they did both did great. If if you want to remember who they got rid of, obviously they got rid of Mihailovic, went to um, went to Holland. Uh, he got rid of Ismail Kone, went to Watford. Alistair Johnson went to Celtic. Uh, Torres was traded to Philly, and they traded Kamal Miller to Miami. I think their biggest off-season move was bringing in like Bryce Duke and George Campbell and Aaron Herrera. So if that's what they view as quality MLS, it's, it's great depth players, but obviously those are guys you want to move in to like fill your starting 11, but not, not marquee signings to help your first year head coach. So you're, you're setting up for failure. Like David said, we know what Lasada did in DC. Um, but didn't seem like they really brought him in here for a long-term project. Also. Yeah. And Camacho went to Columbus mid season. I'm pretty sure. So that was, a, and Kamal Miller left too to Miami. I mean, the whole team got gutted. It was, it was, I wonder if just like a toxic culture was going on there and players wanted out. I don't know. It's just weird how so many players left. So many good players left. I believe, if I recall correctly, the reports were that Wilfred Nancy almost left Montreal partway through a season at one point because he just did not see eye to eye with the owners and then left 
seemingly quite eager to leave at the end of that second season when all their players went as well. So I really, I mean, maybe the common denominator isn't the coach and isn't the players in this case. It might be even higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those situations. I mean, Nancy's a fantastic coach. I think majority of teams would want a manager like that, and you just let him slip away that easily. Yeah, I mean, as David just said, surprise, but these owners don't have really any trouble doing it because besides the supporters who they don't really listen to sometimes, they're not actually held accountable for it outside of it. So, Very true. I would like to just note there's now 11 coaches that have been fired this year. I don't remember if we discussed it previously, Gavin, but I know uh, Latanzio has also been fired by Charlotte as well. So just it's another name to throw into the hat, a very long list of names this season for that matter. So, I mean, Charlotte has I don't know if Charlotte has ownership issues so much as I think they have front office issues. So it different set of problems and challenges there. I was I, I will say ownership as well. Um, you 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 remember Gavin uh, Russell and Bryce when they were announced, their ownership talked big. They mentioned they were going to bring in big money. They even compared themselves with Atlanta when it came to when it came to spending. And let's be honest, they kind of haven't lived up to the head. And you know why themselves? David Tepper is like that when it comes to the Panthers and the Falcons as well. Just like always trying to battle with Arthur Blank and he saw Arthur just come in with so much early success in MLS and he came in with his mouth and he's just, he's one of those owners that kind of likes his hand too much into the pot, even though when it comes to major league soccer and the game of soccer, he really doesn't know much. What I like about Arthur Blank is he hires the right people and he steps away as in the Falcons. He, he maybe is involved a little bit more, um, but I, I love it when, you know, he just brings the financial aspect and he, he stays away. But David Tepper definitely joins the room a little too much. And I think it's it's showing how they're, they've kind of plateaued of their expansion growth. Outside, you're seeing teams like St. Louis and Nashville and Austin coming in with just early success as expansion sides after seeing other teams like Atlanta and LAFC grow. And you're seeing them not take off the way that these other expansion teams have so far. I was just going to say quickly, at the highest level, they clearly have a flawed process for talent identification, both in the coaching aspect and in the player aspect. They were really thrilled with Latanzio and thought he could take them places, and he took them nowhere. And uh, partially that's because of him, partially that's because of the players, because the players they brought in were poor too. Eager to hear your question, David. If, big if, if uh, Gary is let go by Nashville, that, does Nashville become the most attractive club to coach? To, uh, to, yeah, to coach. Ooh, who's available? Oh, I can tell you. I've got a list right here. Well, Chicago, Charlotte, Colorado. D.C., Montreal. So is Nashville the, like, the most, the, the club do you think everyone, the other, the other coaches would be looking at as like, hey, that's that's where I want to be. That's like the most. I would say yes with 
Portland going with the decision they made. I think Portland's a very attractive spot, especially with how their recent managers have worked out, uh, Severis and Caleb Porter. Like they they have stability, they have a way to build out their project. Um, but Phil Neville was given that, so I definitely think Nashville with the support they have, the stadium they built, the current players they have, it definitely has to be the most attractive job out of them. Obviously. If the Red Bulls position is open and they figure out a new way to structure things, that's just a great market to be in. But I just don't think it's a great place to be in terms of ownership right now. I forgot Minnesota, by the way. Yeah, I was looking at Minnesota, but I think Nashville edges that as well because of the supporters. Minnesota obviously have good supporters, but I think Nashville just still have that new car smell a little bit with their um, stadium. So the supporters are still very supportive and engaged is chicago a sneaky top three though if if they didn't have the general manager doing what he's doing there i i think that's a and a very attractive job if they're given a lot of if if they're given a lot for building their own project and what they see I, I, yeah, that's the only that's the only way it can be attractive, and I think um, Chicago fans are gonna not like what I'm gonna say, but I, it doesn't it doesn't attract me to Chicago like keeping up with it, like the the coaching vacancy because honestly, whatever coach comes in right now, as long as the GM's there, as long as they have that type of mentality, if they're not gonna do much. The whole move to Soldiers Field, the whole rebrand, bringing uh, the new coach and all of that, right? What changed? Nothing. They give away like 35,000 tickets two times or three times this year just to pack the stadium. It's an interesting one. Is that maybe more common in some of these teams that are with head coach vacancies right now? I mean, let's look at it, right? Chicago Fire, we're talking about the GM. Could be an issue there. Charlotte FC, the GM's an issue there as well. Colorado Rapids, I'm not sure if it's the GM, but yeah. (laughs) A lot, a lot of issues above the coach are, you know, DC United, David, I, I don't know enough about what the GM it's ownership situation ownership. is. Okay. Minnesota United. Minnesota might actually not be that bad, question mark. Oh. Right. Yeah, Montreal, so. we know ownership's ownership issue. cares. New England Revolution, it sounds like after hearing some of the comments after their playoff exit that there's leadership issues at the GM and above level. And then... And by the way, it looks like Bo announced his his farewells on Instagram. Yeah, and then the final one, New York Red Bulls, which ownership just doesn't seem to want to invest in anything there. In the U.S., but outside the U.S., they do. Here, Have we discovered the commonality? <laughs> It, it's a good topic, and it's we can talk about this for hours. But um, yeah, Nashville is the most attractive job at the moment. If if it happens, right? I'm I'm already firing Gary. <laughs> but, but if it happens, sorry to kind of shut you down there, but I, I just don't think it's it's time to move on from Gary yet. Like I I know, obviously the manager is definitely the first person that is is held accountable when when things don't go well, but. They've just been so solid in their time in MLS, and I, I think it'd be just a little 
too premature to, to let him go. I think you need to build through 2024, see if the money you put towards Sam Surridge, see if he needs an off season in the States to figure it out. See if maybe, as I was saying, Nashville would be awesome if they could find a winger to really open up the middle of the field a little bit for them. See if you can really lock down a signing like that. Obviously you have a great defense to build around. So I just think, I think maybe the front office needs, needs to come together and, and see if they need to build this around. But Gary Ball, it's different. It's worked. This year it, it didn't work. But, I mean, in the summer they were very close to, to winning a trophy in uh, in League's Cup. So I, it, it's very tough. Last thing I'll say on this topic. Sorry, real quick, Russell. Last thing I'll say on this topic is there's a shortage of good coaches out there. And so they get to be picky with which club they go to. And if you're not appealing, if you're not an appealing destination on the field with your players that you can bring and the structure you bring off the field, um, coaches aren't going to join because they they will have other office offers if they're worth it. Last thing I have on the, on the other side, we're talking about the teams, but the coaches who are the, the best names for coaches we talk about names that shouldn't be back in because they've been very mid in my opinion before you guys give yours of the names that i know are realistic for mls teams i feel like caleb porter is still the the best name out there he's won an mls cup with two different teams mls coach of the year in portland I, i just think he's really solid and he's able to see out early stages in this project. Obviously it phases out in both of them, but I feel like it's a great person to bring in to really kickstart things. Huh? If, if I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying he's the best option, but if, if Bruce arena apologizes to MLS commissioner, he has to be the top coach out there due to his track record. MLS just didn't finish the investigation on everything because they just let him go. Like if, if he's brought back in into a team, they're going to have to finish whatever they started with that. Like that, that's such a very sticky situation. I would like to see personally, and my last comment on this, Patrick Vieira back. I'm still surprised that Colorado with their links to Arsenal did not move further with Ramsey from their uh youth coaching but i think that's i think that's where i would see mls going long term is emulating what's going on in nfl where all these teams are going out they're getting younger coaches do you mean wilshire was it jack yeah, i wilshire. thought it's jack was wilshire, it wilshire? Yep. oh i thought Ramsey's Ramsey's still playing. Was, eh, um okay. yeah you're european we need to tap into the european market for coaches uh there's coaches out there that we're not even attempting to really hire and the ones that we have hired have gone pretty poorly other than you think of like Dome Torrent who came in uh, from Europe, I believe. And he was a success, but he hated the league and left. <laughs> um, and I think he's back at Manchester City. Is that correct? I don't remember now where he's at, but um, he was a success, but didn't like the league, so left. You know the the retreads are are kind of hard. Like it, it kind of really comes to where where the club at where the club is at and what's worked. Like Atlanta United, obviously they came in with a coach that didn't know the league at all. He built what he what he wanted, Tata Martino, and then 
they come in and try to bring a European name and Frank the Boer in. Regardless if you if you obviously Atlanta fans didn't really like his style, but regardless if you liked him or not, he still built a pretty solid MLS squad, won a US Open Cup. But then after he left, they brought in Gabriel Heinze, a, a person that was a young up and coming coach from outside of the league who just came in and fell apart immediately. And so what do they do to counter that from these big names that they're going for? They bring in an assistant coach that just has a lot of MLS experience learning from a great system in Seattle and Pineda and still seeing how that how that works out. But I think when you see some of these teams go for a retread and someone that's just been in multiple MLS organizations as a head coach or an assistant coach, and if it doesn't work out, then you might see them go abroad. If their abroad coach doesn't work out, you might see them go for someone within the league. So it's, it's funny how the reorganization works like that, but I feel like it's a trend we see around all the all the teams in the league. And Russell, you and I were talking about this the other day. Go to an assistant coach in Europe. Offer him a head coaching job. That's it. Hey, look, this is your this is a step right here. Come over here. This is the way to go. You can start over here. Hey, some might say no. Someone might say yes, but try that market. Tap into that. You and I were comparing it to the NFL. Hey, this team is doing, example, the Seahawks are doing great. I'm not sure how they are doing. I haven't kept up, right? Let's go to their offensive coordinator. Offer him a, an interview. Let's interview him up. If we like what we see, let's offer him his first uh, coaching position, uh, a head coach position. Do that for the European teams. Go see what team's doing good. Talk to the assistant coach. Hey, it might just work out. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Liverpool has uh, a young up-and-coming assistant coach who who's ready to be a head coach, uh, and they're out there. And if you do your basic research and you make a few phone calls to contacts, you can find some really good people really quickly. It just feels like MLS isn't doing that, and they're having very lazy coaching searches. Yeah, I mean, Dave, David, that's a great, great shout. And that mo- NFL market is is really great on that. Every year, you see teams look for that next 35-year-old offensive coordinator that's the next young mastermind. Like, And the MLS, I think they're just more comfortable bringing in guys that know the league, but sometimes it's not a good thing because if, if they know the league, how the league was in the 2000s, then their team's going to be way behind. So bringing these young, these young minds ready to kick off. So that that's a definitely a great point. And, you know, m- maybe ownership's listening to this. Maybe they'll, they'll piggyback off you. I'm going to take my Liberty as podcast host here to throw in one final comment. And then I'm going to move us on. I'm looking at a trend in the current MLS coaches. I'm seeing a lot of guys in here, and some of the really good, successful coaches are in their mid-40s. I mean, the league is shifting younger. There's still people in their 60s out there, but, I mean, for instance, Vanny Sartini, who I always thought was much older than this, is only 46. Gavin, no one can see this. Gavin's face, like, just got 10 feet further away from the camera for how far back he leaned in his seat. He uh, he looks like he's. I mean, fair play. To, uh, I don't know. He looks like he's in his fifth, his late fifties. Yeah, forty six. Pat Noonan, forty three. Wilfred Nancy, forty six. Ben Olson, forty six. Steve Trundolo, forty four. Jim Curtin, forty four. Which is insane to me. Yeah, Pineda is forty one. I mean, it again. It's it seems like there is Bradley Carnell as well. 46. So, I mean, 
this is a fair list of relatively successful guys. So I mean, I, I know we pointed we could talk with this for so long, but Carnell is another example of an assistant coach just ready to take off as a head coach, even though he was inside the league. You just look look for the young guys ready for their first job. Like some of these I coaches. Think Carnell like, was a head coach, though, wasn't he? Outside the league, I thought he was a head. Oh, uh, maybe he was. Yeah. A better example might be Nancy. Wasn't yeah. he assistant coach for Thierry Henry, and then Henry left, and Nancy got promoted. I just realized, um, Bryce, you said uh, Porter was the best option out there, right? Are we forgetting about the Timbers ex-coach? He has to be the number one. Uh, no, yeah, not, one? not Porter, Porter, the other one. Yeah, <laughs> Soriano, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> Savarese. Savarese is great. Um, I, I, and the funny thing is, I mean, he has a great connection to the to the New York City market. So I think everyone kind of pinpointed him as maybe someone filling in the NYCFC position if that ever opened up. Um but I just want to also point out real quick that Carnell was always a Red Bulls assistant and he was not a head coach. All right. There we go. All right. I'm actually moving us on now, though. Uh, we we can do a coaching podcast in maybe like the international break or even in the offseason. And we'll, we'll talk coaches for like three hours. But we are going to move on to talk about MLS Cup, the MLS Cup date, if you will. We've got three matches to cover, and this is somehow going to take us like five and a half hours at the rate we're going. But we are going to start. I'm going to give the first word to Gavin on this. We're going to start with Orlando versus Nashville. Gavin, congratulations. You have uh, advanced into the semifinals with a win over Nashville. Question. And this is. Actually, not match-related. I'm sorry. There's been so much engagement and vitriol and drama on social media between Orlando and Nashville fans. From the standpoint of the playoffs, do you think that this had an impact on creating actual fan engagement with the league and building a sense of a rivalry more so than the regular season has done? Oh, well, I'll, I'll just say this. Over the past few years since Nashville has joined the league, Orlando and Nashville have always had close matchups to where they're one of those teams where they're not necessarily a rival, but you don't like to play them. And I think that feeling was felt both ways. Uh, There was some drama in multiple games that we've played them in the past with one time we scored a late winner and then it got chalked off for a foul. And so, fans kind of associated that feeling of unjustness with Nashville. Uh, Nashville have had games as well where they feel unjustly that they lost due to referee decisions. And so that's kind of there. And then, yes, you have the off field fan stuff that happened on X that uh, definitely contributed to this feeling of a rivalry. And then on the field, the players, um, aren't always uh, the favorites when we play them. They're, they're not amicable. They, they like to get in each other's faces sometimes. We went to their place and beat them 1-0 before the playoffs, like in the run-in to the end of the regular season. So that didn't help either. And, and well, it did help in feeling that there was a sense of a rivalry. And there was a bit of a dust-up in that game. And so it really did 
all all this these context and contributing factors did lead up to this feeling of a rivalry match in the playoffs and the first half going into the game now Nashville were losing their heads. They were getting very emotional with all every referee call. I've seen Orlando play like that this multiple times where it's just focused on the referee and not focused on the game itself. And it was very emotional and it felt like a rivalry match. It felt like a very heated match. Nashville kind of cooled down in the second half, um, but they just couldn't, they couldn't create. And that's just because of their system. Uh, they, uh, because of their system and Orlando's defense, I'll say. Because Nashville were starting to send five, six players into the box, and the ball just wouldn't fall for them because of strong defense from Orlando. With some praise for Orlando's defense, I want to throw this over to David, because David, I know behind Gavin, you are the second largest fan of Oscar Pereja here on the podcast I'm going to ask you to do something very challenging, though, and point out some negatives about Oscar Pereja. Is there anything in this match that frustrates you about Orlando? David lost signal. He can't hear anything. Oh, well, you hate Bryce, to see that. you answer the question. Yeah, Bryce. OK, since David hates us and or David's phone hates us. It's uh, over to you. Take, take, walk, take us back a little bit. You know, we, we don't want to be too high on Orlando here. Yeah, I mean, Orlando's a team that obviously you don't want to play inside of their own home because they can kind of really dictate the flow of the game. And what they really want is Pareja has always been really different when it comes to playoff tactics versus what you see out of them in the regular season. And what the playoffs is he really wants to just play a tight game where each team has only a, f- a few chances and he just really wants a midfield battle and yeah, Orlando finished on both of their chances in both games. So that that's the risk that he wants to take. And I, the way that Nashville's tactics are set up, I think it really sets up success for Orlando in that, in that scenario. Um, obviously I said earlier that the winner of Atlanta and Columbus will be scared to play when in Orlando because the way that Orlando wants to play a game is a lot different than Columbus or Atlanta. So if, if it works in a Orlando's favor, then obviously it's going to be great. But in, in counter to that, a lot can happen. The ball can bounce the wrong way. If, if Columbus or Atlanta get a goal early, it could flip really quick and Preha will have to change the tactics that he wants out of the playoffs. So then you're going to have to play in a shootout to keep up with two of the league's best scoring teams. So I think that's that's my counter with it. it it's working great so far. Pereja has looked really solid in both games against Nashville, but you just have to be ready to adjust, especially now the format's changed back to one game, win or go home. So you got to leave it all out there. It's also uh, three um, three weeks away, so it's we're, we're going to be – not as match sharp as we have been in this uh, these last few weeks since League's Cup finished. Are they losing any players to international windows too? You know, uh, we might lose Facundo Torres. We'll lose a couple, yeah, then they'll come back. And every team at this point is going to, unless they're just in the 
Argentinian market where players aren't going. Like Atlanta is losing Almada. Um, did Barrial get caught up, Russell? Sorry to kind of throw things off there, but not yet. He's been scouted. The Argentinian national team spent a couple matches for him. I would guess that he's probably not going to get called up until maybe early to mid next year. I think they're they're probably going to want to see him outside of MLS and still performing. That's fair. But back to the point is, yeah, this is obviously just a, a terrible time when you're in Major League Soccer, just having a different schedule from the rest of the world. Um, it It's just a shame to... Uh, you're in the middle of a playoff run and you have to lose some of your key players for a couple weeks to go play internationally. Obviously you want to keep everyone in house and really build your tactics heading into the next, into the next match. So it's very unfortunate, but that's the way it's set up and every team has to face it. And David's back. So if David can hear us, give your takes on why Perea is a, a great manager. I honestly didn't watch much of the game. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was bored after the first half. Um, and I honestly, I'm not going to lie. I play, I was start, I started to play FIFA in the second half. I went to my FIFA journey and just started playing with the third division club from England. And yeah. <laughs> but no, look, uh, and this is what we were talking about earlier. Nashville just disappointed. That was, that was my main point. Nashville disappointed. They can't, they weren't able to score. A team that was able to score before has a lot of success in the offense, um, and just Pareja's out coach, um, out coach uh, Smith this time, and that's his tactics. And props to him if it works, then great. He shouldn't listen to me, but again, you know this, Gavin. It's time for Orlando to make a big push. You guys been in the league for years now, and one of the few clubs that have joined the league that has not been able to make a big push in MLS. Gavin, you're getting called out by David. You're just you're just gonna accept it. David doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was a boring. It was a little bit of a boring match. We have been, Gavin. If you recall, as recently as last year, we at one point were saying Pareja out. You said it as well. We have the tapes. I've got the footage. Yeah, I'll I'll say this. Pareja was losing to Charlotte in the regular season. Pareja was struggling to beat teams in the bottom half of the table at home. We really struggled for home form last year. I don't think we've beaten DC United in two years. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys, you guys swept struggled. us last season, and then we might have gotten a draw against you guys this season and then lost to you guys this season. So like we're losing to these terrible teams and we're not creating good offense. I mean, there's, it's no wonder Orlando fans were really struggling to see a future with Oscar Pereja and he made some switches. He really shored up our midfield. He started starting Cartagena and Araujo together. And those two are just, when those two start, our defense looks um, immaculate looks like a brick wall. Like we talked about offline. Uh, so though th- that change, and then he started inverting our right fullback. He started starting dogger Don Halston and inverting him. And that helped a little bit in keeping the ball deep because we were struggling with that. And just, we've improved in so many different aspects over the last four months that, 
uh, Pereja's really earned a lot of trust back from the fans because he had completely lost it with the start of this season uh, and the way last season ended. Very fair. I do want to move us on as well to a next match here. So if no one has anything burning, pressing, they have to get it off their chest. I'm going to take us to Bryce's home turf for an Atlanta versus Columbus match. Yeah, I mean, it's not burning off before I get into my game. But, you know, Gavin, at at this point in the season, a boring game is better than a frustrating game because boring means you probably won the match or frustrating means you probably didn't. So definitely take the the boring match in, in November at this point. Atlanta, this was not a boring match. This was a very fun match for an Atlanta fan, maybe not a Columbus fan, but for the neutral MLS fan, also probably an amazing match to watch. Six goal matchup was absolutely incredible. I mean, game two is what you expected from a, a series of Atlanta and Columbus, the two highest scoring teams in the league. Obviously, the first game, Atlanta didn't have a shot on target, missing Almada. Almada was back in this one, even though he didn't contribute until the last goal of the game. Just the presence of him out there, really dropping back into the midfield, opening up space for um, Zande Silva, Saba to really work. Mayamba even able to push up a little more things things got really solid and you just really see the vision of the players that were brought in mid-season by Garth Lagerway, someone that really made his money off the summer transfer window when he was in Seattle and sometimes it sometimes it's hard to you know Atlanta was a team that really struggled before this summer his Seattle teams kind of you know hung around the top four then really took off to one of the best MLS teams when this time came around but this is a team that, you know, finally became respectable in the Eastern Conference once these players came in, and you can see the vision for it, and it's looked really solid. I, I really just momentum after the first game. I really prepared myself for the last match, seeing Amada, Robinson, maybe even Guzan, you know, with his contract. You know, you never know with those guys you, seeing their last year in an Atlanta Jersey. So I was preparing myself to just really enjoy their presence and enjoy what they brought. And I was, I guess not really surprised because I know what this offense can do and they're out there just at their best. And they definitely were in this one and we move on Um, the Columbus side of things. Cucho has been great. Obviously if he's going to beat you, you have to accept it, but I think they're doing a really good job controlling their secondary um, threats. Diego Rossi has been so quiet. Julian Gressel didn't even feel like he was on the pitch outside of like the first few minutes. He had one shot there against Guzan. Nagby, keeping him moving the ball backwards instead of forward. Um, Alexander Matan, just Columbus fans won him benched in game three. So I think they're doing a really good job controlling things outside of Cucho. And we'll see in game three. Columbus is a different team away. Then they are home. Atlanta's different team home. They are away. But Almada didn't play in game one. It's a it's a winner go home. So I was I was more impressed with Muyumba in this matchup. Muyumba kind of I don't want to say lost his head in game one of this series, but he definitely felt like he had less of a handle on the situation than he had game two where he was a little bit more in the way of that midfield enforcer 
where he was breaking up plays, where he was connecting the back line to the front. I think that certainly helped out a little bit. I actually I want to get just a quick poll of the room here. How big of an advantage is playing on turf at home when you're used to it? Like just real quick, you know, Gavin is big advantage, little advantage, colossal, huge, gigantic advantage. I mean, where do you fall on this? Decently sized advantage. At this point, teams uh, who teams know how to play on turf that don't regularly play on turf, but you have the um, comfortability as the home team on turf that it gives you that advantage. Yes. Uh, so it's, I think it's a decent size advantage, but it's not like you can't go to a team who plays on turf and win a game. The same way you can go to NYCFC and beat them in their home stadium. It's just a bit harder because they're so used to it. Yeah. David, what's your take on it as well? There's a there's a difference on it. I was listening to the Spanish announcers, Carlos Ruiz, uh, who's played in turf. And he was. They talked about it. He he mentioned himself. The home, the home team, or the team that uses turf, knows a little more about the field. Knows how the bounces work, or when to expect the bounce. Knows uh, how fast the ball moves on turf. Knows where on that field the ball is gonna bounce the most, or you're gonna have trouble with the ball the most. And it and, and the team who plays on turf has much better advantage than the team that doesn't. Bryce, I. I want to ask you this question as well, but I, I don't want to make it seem like we're ganging up on Atlanta and saying, oh, well, they only won because of turf because they were also the better team on the night. I This just this has been sitting in the back of my mind for a while. No, and I'll, I'll kind of throw it in the other direction. Atlanta has only won one game on natural grass this season. So it, it shows that that teams in their home environment are more prepared for it. And some, sometimes if you're prepared for moments like that, you're thrown off when you're on the other end of it. So that's how it is. That makes me very worried for, uh, for game three. That's a hell of a stat. <laughs> All right. Anyone else have any closing final thoughts here on Atlanta I want to see so David message that we saw a different game I was curious on what I said in my early description was different well you said one where they controlled Gressel they had Nagby pass the ball back and Chucha was the only one performing basically Bryce the honestly Atlanta before going up 4-2 or 3-1 they were lucky not to be down that defense is shaky uh, at any time Columbus won and they were able to enter the box and they were able to give you guys a scare. Any other, it would have been any other team. You guys would have been down 2-0 right away. There was, a, there was a big part of that moment. And again, every time Columbus got the, the ball, they were able to get into that box. They were able to do something and give you guys a scare. Yeah, and I think if players like Gressel and Rossi are on their game, then they get those goals. But we're specifically shutting down those secondary uh, chance makers. Like if they're controlling the game, they had moments. Cucho's definitely taken advantage of the leaky defense, but those other players aren't. I think we're doing a good job on that. And outside of Cucho, Aiden Morris is doing a good job, but I guess there wasn't really any like. Besides, like I said, Gressel did have that one moment in the fourth minute. He had a shot at Guzan, great save. 
outside of that, there wasn't a moment where I was like, wow, Gressel really dominated us there. There, or, Wow, we got so lucky that Rossi didn't do that there. And it's it's interesting. And the, the Columbus fan forums are questioning Matan, Rossi, and it, it's, it's sometimes hard to really connect those those players. I would say this on Rossi. Rossi looked, um, I, I don't know how to use this word, but I guess too excited with the ball. He he just got overwhelmed every time he got the ball and really didn't know what to do, and Chucho was his best connection. And, again, uh, you know this, Atlanta's going to have to fix that defense for the third game. They're going to have to straighten that defense out um, and have them be solid. And to your point, I, I to your comment that you made, I do think it's time for move from Guzan after this season. Yeah, I mean, he... He had the highest cap hit for a goalkeeper. His contract was ended in 2023, but we gave gave some more cap room by letting him, him extend a couple years. But I really don't know what the extent of the extension is. Uh, MLS contracts, as, as everyone knows in here, is really quiet when it comes to that. So no one knows what his actual cap hits are until that MLS PA comes out. But I, I think Guzan's one of those players, when he knows his time's up, he's not going to carry it on i think he starts to know that he's been fighting through these injuries and obviously we made a big push push for josh cohen in the in the summer window of trying to break mls rules to just get him on the roster for 2024 so atlanta's thinking it i'm sure guzan sees that and thinking it but i guess i'm not worried I'm not, i don't want to talk about that yet until after we're out of the run here should be a very very exciting game uh third game that's the last i was saying Hopefully you guys have more than one shot on target for that third game. That game's non-existent for me. Game two is only in my head. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Russell, Gavin, any last thoughts on it? Must watch TV. Definitely the best game th- three. Not to really kill the Western games, but in terms of the two teams. Like, just in my head, the Eastern Conference is just amazing. Um, it's really solid teams. And a 3-6 matchup like this has been pretty solid so far. In my opinion, this is the best matchup of the um, playoffs. Like of the the first round, I think this one for me is the best matchup. Because it could, it could go either way. And uh, here we are going into a game three where Columbus kind of deservedly won game one and Atlanta deservedly won game two. And so now uh, we're going to have a, a real solid single elimination game we just had to play two more games to get there uh for game three i just want to note gavin technically there's three matches that could go either way here for game three of round one i mean seattle dallas could go either way houston salt lake could go either way columbus atlanta technically yes but you know you know what i meant i i know what you meant i i do actually really wonder though if these game threes will be more chaotic and back and forth than games one and two have been because now there's there's nothing else to fight for so which speaking speaking of which i do want to uh i do want to hit on this final match here we had new england versus philadelphia philadelphia win one zero missing quite a number of significant players missing Carranza, which I don't know how widely it was known that Carranza was not going to play missing Wagner, who it was well known as suspended for three matches. So 
even if they win, you know, against Cincinnati, who they'll play against next, they still wouldn't have him for the finals in the East either. So, and then finally they don't have Glessness, and I think Glessness is done for the season. So, I think he had a surgery. So very, very interesting to see them get the win without three pretty, I would say, big name players for them. David, I'm, we're going to start off with you. You are now our honorary. Uh, I, I guess who do you? You live closer to Philadelphia, right? You're now our honorary Philadelphia correspondent for this episode. Um, what What are your thoughts on this performance? I should have gone there. See, look at that, Philadelphia. I I certainly (laughs) knew that, of course. Yes. (laughs) Uh, No, Carranza is amazing. By the way, I my praises to him all the time. That I'm so happy he made a move from Inter Miami to to another club and he's able to perform. Um, My whole thought on the match: typical New England to choke in the playoffs. Honestly, typical New England to choke in the playoffs. We've known this. It, they are able to pack the stadium in playoffs. Um, they're able to at least sell out the, the lower bottom. But such an underperforming game from them. They really didn't act like it was a playoff game. Um, I understand they don't really have a solid coach at the moment, but you do have players that can make a difference. And at no moment did uh, the union feel like they were um, going to lose the match. I'm not sure if you guys agree with me on that. I could have seen it going either way. New England played like they wanted to win. I mean, they had chances to win. And in fact, you could argue that they looked pretty good almost everywhere in the field except for where it counted, which was in front of goal, where, I mean, Gustavo Bo missed some phenomenal opportunities. I mean, their players either, you know, didn't get that final pass. They didn't get it on frame. The final pass wasn't maybe there. It's just like they were fine on defense. They they let in one goal for a Philadelphia side that historically has actually been pretty high scoring. Like I, I don't know what else they could have done other than score a goal. Score a goal. Control. Co- you, we all know how Philadelphia works. We all know how they play. At any moment. They can strike you. Philadelphia can have one of the worst games, and at any moment they can strike you. That's that's how they play. That's their whole mindset, and they knew that. Um, which, by the way, uh, I'm not sure who's going next. Maybe Gavin. But if if Gustavo Bo's post today was a final goodbye, they don't. They're gonna have to look for someone to help Joe out. I think they just need a full reset. I mean, yes, they will need someone to help Joe out for the transition. But they obviously need a new coach. They need new DPs. Um, and Gustavo, Gustavo Bo leaving. Um, feels like the time is right for him to go, honestly. I think he's had a good stint in MLS, but it, it does feel like the time is right. Can we talk about the biggest talking point of the match, though? The red card. There seems to be a lot of controversy around this. Um, and I'd like to hear everyone's take on this. So, Russell... You're up first then. You don't think it's controversial? No, it's a red card. Like, here's here's my big thing, right? Everyone seems to argue, did he mean to stomp on him? Was it intentional? But that's not what's in the rules of the game. 
the definition of a red card is an action that endangers another player. It's reckless. It puts them in the way of harm. It doesn't matter whether or not you mean to do it. He was in the way of harm. His foot was coming down onto the player. So, yeah, I, I mean, that it's a red card. Like, it also, I mean, just look, if we if we really want to go down the rabbit hole, I also wonder if Mark Anthony K does not get the benefit of the doubt on this one because he has stomped on players in matches before. And I think they will look at him more intensely than another player who is in that situation. That said, I, I mean, I think they made the call correct. It's a red card. Like, it, again, does not matter whether or not he intended to do it. His foot came down onto the player as they were on the ground. It's, it, it's a red card. Bryce, what do you think? I mean, I'm in agreement with Russell. It's not controversial, but in terms of Mark Anthony Cage, it's very ironic from an MLS now standpoint because Russell talked about like 15 minutes before it happened, like how he felt about him as a player. And obviously he just talked about it, but it's very interesting how in a, your home you have to win to just even push it to a game three and you just make a play like that. There's no need for that play to happen. You put your whole team at a really tough advantage point and Philly scored a goal late, but they dug themselves a hole really hard to get out of, even though if they looked like the better attacking team, they had more to play for. So naturally, they should look like the better attacking team, but they fell short, and I agree. They need a full reset. It's Hearing Omar Gonzalez, someone who's been around the league, LA Galaxy, Toronto, now here, someone that's even in Mexico, someone who's seen a lot of different organizations for successful and not successful. The way he came out and for six minutes straight without media moving on, just hearing him talk about the whole situation that went down. They were right behind Cincinnati with the best record in MLS before League's Cup, and they fell apart. Because of things that the players had no account, no say over that they just lost a leader and they were not given any reasons for. And they, they said that when issues in the front office, like the players can feel it. And I think it showed on the field and it's pretty obvious how they really fell the way they were. Um, if you look at their like last five to 10 matches in the MLS regular season, they fell apart, lost more than they won. So I don't know how you can retool out of a core like that. I think it's just time to turn the roster over. Yep. David, what do you think on the red card? Oh, he 100% meant to do that. No way somebody can tell me he didn't mean to do that. He intentionally meant to do that. That's my take on it. That's what I'd say. So I think the red card is hard for for a lot of people because people are going to see what they want to see. They're going to focus on what they want to focus on. I think at the end of the day, the red card is right, but I find myself focusing on the fact that K is trying, not even just trying. He is actively stepping over the Philadelphia player and the Philadelphia player picks his leg up, blocks him and that causes his foot to go down. And so for me, it's a harsh red card because he wasn't going to stomp on him. He 
is stepping over him. His foot gets blocked by the player on the ground, and then you lose your balance. Where else are you going to put your foot? It's really unlucky. Um, you could also say that Mark Anthony K in the moment could potentially have been annoyed. And in that split second, any anyone who's played soccer knows this is possible. While you're in the middle of stepping over someone and they block you, then you stomp and you make that decision in that split second. You, you could have not stepped down with force. Maybe he was annoyed in that split second and stepped down. I don't know. In slow motion, it looks like he's, he's trying to get over him. His, his foot gets blocked and therefore that's what causes him to step down onto the player, which makes me feel like it's a harsh red card, but you can understand that it's a red card. But then you could also look at it from the other angle and say, nope, he stepped on him. He really meant to step on him and he should be banned for uh, seven games because he's an evil human being for that. So I, I go back and forth on it. I really do um, definitely change the uh, match completely. And yeah, that that's that's my thoughts on it. I wanted to hear what you guys had to say, because um, I do think I do think it is controversial in my opinion. Just to uh, be a quick rules wizard here, I was reading through the MLS playoff rules guide. A straight red card is only a one-match ban for wow, whatever reason. So if they had somehow made it through that match and won and won game three, K would have been available to play in the uh, semifinals. So wow. in... In contrast to, say, the Premier League, because the red card check was for violent conduct, where in the Premier League, I believe a straight red card for violent conduct carries an automatic three-match suspension. The uh, rules here in the MLS is one match, and then it goes to the disciplinary committee who analyze the situation, and then they have the ability to determine if they wish to assess an additional penalty or suspension if they believe it is to uh, prevent further egregious play, to protect players, to uh, deter additional conduct, so on and so forth. So, fun fact. There you go. I just want to note here, because I, I don't think anyone has too much else to say on New England-Philadelphia. We have those three matches coming up, and then we have a two- to three-week break for an international break. And I, I really want to get your guys' takes on this as well, just before we wrap up, because we've seen teams going into Leagues Cup that they went out early-ish in Leagues Cup. And there were some good teams that went in, went out early in Leagues Cup, and then struggled coming out of it. Is this break actually a nice leveler for some of the teams that are lower seeds in the league? And you know, how much of an impact is this going to have? I'll start with David. I think it is, is going to affect the intensity of the games. Uh, I honestly do. It, 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 the special of those teams that are hot right now, right? Um, I, I'll give you an example, right? Let's say um, Columbus, because I'm, I'm not going to say Atlanta, because Gavin thinks that I love Atlanta. Um, Columbus moves on, right? They're hot. They're scoring. They're winning. 
you're coming out of two week, two week break, it's gonna calm them down. It's gonna cool them off. It's <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna affect them. Um, I don't like it. I mean, if you have injuries, right? Great for you. Great for your club. It, it, you get those players back, recovered, healthy, and they can help you out. But I personally don't like it, and it takes momentum away from the postseason as a fan and as a, a spectator. If I'm pronouncing that right. I'm away as well because you do have those casual MLS fans who want to see playoffs, and then all of a sudden there's a two week break. Like, and then two weeks later it comes back. Some are not gonna even care anymore. That's that's my take. Gavin, what about you? Yeah, I think it's only going to hurt the teams uh, that are in form. And uh, I agree it will serve as a leveler. um, Because three weeks is a long time to not be on a competitive uh, football pitch as a a collective group. And so teams who are in form, like Orlando, uh, like Philadelphia, um, like Seattle, will struggle. Bryce, take us home. The players complain that there's way too many games to play mid-season with the MLS roster rules, that they just have to push through all these matches. All the international breaks come when there was a long break right before decision day, and then decision day happened, and then the first playing games and the first round kicked off, and now there's another break again. I think another thing MLS needs to figure out is – to figure out a good schedule around the international schedule as well, because it kills momentum. You don't really see these breaks as much throughout the season. Players are playing four games in two weeks, sometimes like six and three, even I think Miami went on a crazy heater at the end of the season here. And it's tough. (laughs) You just have now's the time you want to keep your team together. Like now's the time you want to keep everyone. And, uh, and now you're, like I said earlier, losing your key players for, for these matches. And I remember Atlanta in 2019, the year after we won the MLS cup, miles Robinson got hurt in the U S men's national team game and caused him to miss the playoffs. So that's, that's what you're crossing your fingers and your toes and every single part of your body to not happen. Because if you lose a player like that, it's really going to be hard to recover. That's my biggest fear. Like Aaron Bupenza has gone off to play with Gabon. I believe Junior Moreno was called up to play with Venezuela. And I just, I'm sitting there and in my mind is this nightmare scenario where there's a tweet that, oh, they have torn their ACL on international duty. And it's just like, great. Key, extremely important player for us in the most important part of the season. Done. And you find that out potentially three or four days prior to your next match. I think with all the players going on international duty, it's bound to happen to one of them. That someone's going to get a knock and they're going to miss the match and there's going to be angry fans for that team, especially if they go out. And it will be justified. Yes. Yeah, and like after the Miles Robinson injury happened, Atlanta stopped letting their players go off these optional call-ups. And I know U.S. youth, youth national teams are mad because players like George Bellow and Caleb Wiley weren't allowed to move up. But it's like, can you blame them? Like this whole, like you want to build your team through the preseason. These players are coming up for 
these U20 friendlies, you're just going to let them go with the potential to get injured to like cause like a, a struggle to your depth to start the season. Uh, MLS rosters don't allow depth in the first place. You want to protect your roster as much as you can. So, And in that scenario, it's better to keep them rested and let them get the experience of playing in the playoff match than it is to send them to a U20 friendly. Like they're playing against other U20s or they're playing against a grown salaried men. Like, I don't know. It just seems backwards to be upset about that uh, from a youth standpoint. I know you guys have things to do, but I want to ask one question. There's second game already passed. There's no second games. There, there are third games coming up. Yay or nay on this three-game series? Gavin is giving a thumbs down. He's not saying anything. He's thumbs giving down. a thumbs down. No, hate it. I thumbs. would prefer home and away legs, personally. Thumbs were down until Atlanta would have been eliminated off away goals in Columbus. So th- thumbs are up now. Well, if it was uh, home and away, like Russell said, you guys would have passed. No, because we, we didn't we didn't score in Columbus, and Columbus scored two in Atlanta. What was the overall? The it, it would have been um it would have been four four, right? And then away goals. So, well, yeah. Bryce, the the answer would have been to score more goals or to score in Columbus. So. Well, I, I, it, to be to be fair, in both situations, when we were up three to one, that would have been three three, and Columbus moves on, so Columbus would have been a lot more defensive. Although in game two. You're down three one. You might as well continue to just try to push forward because you have nothing to lose at that point. So when Almada scored the fourth goal, then it's like, okay, I understand why Columbus gave that up. But in counter, if we're up four to three, I think we would have maybe packed it in way differently than we did when it was four two. So um, I think both teams played to the format, but it's it's just funny to look at the score line and say if the format was that way, we wouldn't have made it. I will personally say that I did not care for game one of any match. <laughs> very, very honest with That's you guys. I, I did not care for game one. I, I tuned in for game two because I was like, okay, maybe some teams can be eliminated now. See who steps up. Uh, but that's where I'm at. That's fair. I do think the three game threes will be a good push into the all or nothing for the rest of this, for the rest of the rounds. I, I do think. Like you said, game two spiced it up a little more than game one. Game three is going to spice it up a little more than game two, and I think it's going to take off from there. There's some really good teams in the playoffs still. I think the East is going to be awesome. Whoever gets out of the Atlanta-Columbus series, I think all four teams are going to just have great games. And the West is is anyone's too now with the one seed out, and it should be fun. I'll make one plug that I'm going to hate making it. I'm going to make one plug for why I think the three game series is good. It does ensure the better teams get out of the first round. You don't have weird fluky one seed was off for two weeks because they got a buy round and they lost to the seven seed because they haven't played in four weeks and the seven seed is in form. And so it makes sure as you get further into the tournament, the games stay good rather than seeing one team just kind of like waltz their way to the finals. 
of their conference because teams got lucky in, you know, 30 seconds. Good point. I agree with that. Could you imagine if Almada had the red and it was just a, a one game between Columbus and Atlanta? Like, it, it would have been worst case scenario. At least now Atlanta has the confidence coming off of a performance like that at home. I, I mean, in terms of if you're a supporter, um, you're in the supporter section, season ticket holder, I'm sure it's nice to see a home playoff game as well. Obviously, that's a big reason why Apple did it and MLS did it is because money talks. But I'm sure it's also great to see your team play a home playoff game. Yes, I'm completely blanking out here. I've been trying for the last 10 minutes, literally trying to remember this. Who won the MLS Cup last year? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Have you not Come seen on. the Elliot That was a legendary game. Still? Yeah. Legendary oh, let's game. See, Elliot Sanchez, Sanchez okay. <laughs> has the chance to win the MLS Cup. Oh my God, Gareth I completely Bale. forgot about that. Okay. Wow. All right. No. Um, yeah, don't. Hopefully, MLS doesn't bring this back to three game series. Um, you imagine Messi playing three game series uh, postseason? Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I played in the Champions League. Now I have to play three matches against the same team. <laughs> Whatever they do, I just want them to. Obviously, you have the 30th team coming in soon. I just want to have stability. I feel like there's a new rule every year when it comes to midseason tournament or postseason. Like, I just want to see consistency in whatever is brought to the league, and then I think we stop talking about it. Agree. That said, just casual reminder, 30th team is not arriving until 2025. First year in, what, 10 that we don't get an expansion team? Something like that. Guys, I think... That should just about do it for this episode. We have, I think, hit everything we need to hit. And then we I want to save some topics for this international break because otherwise we're going to have nothing to talk about. I, I know that sounds impossible, but either way, as always, thank you very much. You can find the podcast on social media at MLS Now Podcast. As always, you can find Bryce on social media at BLeslie19. You can find David on social media Somehow, I think he just uses the MLS Now podcast social media. You can find Gavin on social media at Lions Blog One. You can find me on social media at Mr. Dangerous. Thank you very much, guys. As always, talk to you next time. Till next time. Till next time. Send me rabbit names. Frank the Boar.